Please listen carefully. Welcome back to Utterly Moderate. Thanks for joining us. On today's show, we're talking to Jim Warren, executive editor at NewsGuard. Jim was formerly a managing editor at the Chicago Tribune, chief media writer at the Pointer Institute, and Washington bureau chief for the New York Daily News. He has just decades and decades of journalistic experience and knowledge, and I'm excited to talk to him. He's on the show today because there's some big news regarding his current company, NewsGuard. So for those of you who are unfamiliar, for a couple of dollars a month and full transparency, I actually pay that couple of dollars a month and I'm glad that I do. Uh, But just for a few dollars a month, you can get an add-on to your internet browser from NewsGuard. And you barely notice it. It's this little icon in the very top right of your browser in that little space that there's nothing there right now. Uh, And when you visit a news or information website, the icon turns red or green. If it's red, it means this is not a credible news site, not a credible information site. If it's green, it means that the site's met NewsGuard's minimum standards of reliability. Now, if you want to, you can actually click on that icon and see a much more in-depth analysis of the website. And there's nine areas that they cover. One is publishing factual content. Two, gathering and presenting information responsibly. Three, correcting errors. Four, handling the difference between news and opinion responsibly. Five, avoiding deceptive headlines. Six, disclosing ownership and financing. Seven, clearly labeling advertising. Eight, indicating who is in charge in any conflicts of interest. And nine, providing names of and information about content creators. So the preliminary rating is done by a trained journalist like Jim Warren, who has decades and decades of experience in the industry. Once that's done, you don't just take Jim's word for it. Jim hands that rating off to a second editor who also reviews and fact checks to make sure that that rating is accurate. Then there's a third level in the process where they hand it off to both of NewsGuard's CEOs to, again, review and fact check the rating to make sure that it's fair and that it's accurate. So with all the misinformation and disinformation that exists in America today, it's awesome that a service like this exists. And recent developments mean that a lot more people are going to know about NewsGuard. So in late January, NewsGuard signed a deal with the American Federation of Teachers and their 1.7 million teachers across the country, which means that NewsGuard's services will now be available to millions of American public school students. Commenting on the need for this, the president of the American Federation of Teachers, Randy Weingarten, said, quote, We are constantly trying to help our students, particularly our middle, high school, and post-secondary students, separate fact from fiction as we help them develop their critical thinking and analytical skills, end quote. And as a parent, I know that, you know, kids today, they heavily rely on the internet for their homework, for their research projects, and this should help them with just that fire hose of bad information that exists on the internet. Uh, In years past, when I was in school, when many of our listeners were in school, you'd walk into a traditional library, there'd be academic books there, there'd be academic journal articles, all of which have been vetted by experts. You'd also have a trained librarian there as your guide to help you figure out what was the best information. 
the internet doesn't have that. And the, the quality of information on the internet varies much more wildly. I love the way that NewsGuard co-founder Stephen Burrell puts it. He says, quote, imagine you walked into a library and there were a trillion pieces of paper flying around in the air and you grabbed one and you didn't know anything about it or where it came from or who's financing it, end quote. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty good description of the internet, especially in terms of how kids might fare in trying to figure out what's true and what's not on the internet. So with NewsGuard in their toolbox, hopefully American teachers will have a much easier time helping students filter out what's good and what's bad information and ultimately become better informed citizens. So I see this as a win for all of us. I am super excited to have Jim Warren on the show today to discuss it. Uh, But before I do that, real quick, I'm just going to politely ask you if you haven't done so already, if you don't mind, if you wouldn't mind doing me this favor, um, if you could press pause real quick. Go to the show description, click on the Connors newsletter hyperlink and subscribe. You just type in your email address, you hit subscribe and you're subscribed. We'd really appreciate it. We'll send you all of our publications and our podcasts directly to your email inbox as soon as they are published. All right. Well, without further ado, we've got Jim Warren, executive editor at NewsGuard on the show today. Jim, welcome back. Pleasure. So uh, before we begin, I want to talk about this big deal that you guys have just made with the American Federation of Teachers. But just to remind our listeners about what NewsGuard does, tell us what NewsGuard is and and what you guys do. Well, sort of um, imagine a kind of media counterpart to Consumer Reports, a place that you would go to for basically neutral, fair-minded assessments of products. In this case, it's neutral, fair-minded, non-ideological assessments of, up until now, websites, news and information sites in the U.S., Canada, uh, Germany, U.K., Italy, France. Um, but now we're actually venturing. We've done 7,500 sites, 7,500 sites. So that includes big famous places that folks know, but also maybe the little dinky newspaper in town radio station nearby, 7,500. And now we're venturing into an area for the first time, namely individual television shows. We had a, uh, we've gotten a contract with a big ad firm that um, has a problem that a lot of ad firms, it turns out, uh, have namely that they're unsure where their clients' ads are winding up as a result of something called programmatic advertising. So, I mean, we, for instance, did a report recently about all the sort of famous American firms who had ads end up on Russian propaganda websites, uh, unknown to them, unknown to the ad firm. Um, And so we do analyses of uh, websites and now uh, television shows based on nine criteria, which everybody would find, yeah, that's obvious, like one criterion, who owns it? Does it does it disclose who owns it? Does it disclose who edits it? Does it uh, disclose who the key staff are? Does it give you a way to contact uh, people who write stories? Does it have corrections? Does it have a corrections policy? Does it clearly label news versus opinion? Does it clearly label news versus advertising? And so um, that's what we do. And um, this is sort of our fourth year of operation. Um, where we've now we're 
we're now breaking even for the first time. We're not rich, <laughs> just breaking even. And we've got a, a small group of, you know, around and all, if you count sort of regular freelancers, full-time freelancers, about 40 people. And partly as a result of the pandemic, we are now spread all over the world. I mean, we had several people who were living in New York City with family, kids, uh, spouses. The pandemic came and they headed back home to Europe to be with parents or elderly grandparents. And they're not coming back. You know, they put their kids in school. So our, our morning staff meeting, which is at um, 10 Eastern time, we got people all over. I mean, this morning it was, you know, Paris and, and Italy and Berlin and somewhere in Spain and London and, Can and uh, Montreal, I think, Montreal or Toronto. Uh, Chicago, which is where I am and several other of our reporters are. So, so we're all over. Um, ironically, like a lot of businesses, we are fitfully returning to the office. So we had a bunch of folks in uh, the New York area who are back in our office in Midtown Manhattan today. So anyway, that's basically what we do. Um, we're still, you know, we're not very well known, although we've gotten tons of very good press Everything from CNN to, you know, the Wall Street Journal to the New York Times to the Observer in, in, uh, uh, in uh, England. Um, so we got very good press, but we're not real well known. Uh, one uh, fairly significant partnership we just announced, and we hope it's really significant, is with the largest teachers union, the American Federation of Teachers, because um, one of our um, sort of channels, that we, strategic channels, is has to do with media literacy. And uh, we're in about 800 libraries in the U.S. and Europe, 800, which means that there are 800 libraries you can go into and, and we're downloaded on their computers. Now, um, when, you say, <clears throat> when you say you struck a deal with the American Federation of Teachers, what does that mean? Every teacher will have it in their classroom? That know. means that the, the union is going to contact and make us available to each of their 1.7 million members. Wow. At that point, it's up to them. I mean, 1.7 million, you hope some sizable percentage actually looks at it, right? We're all besieged <laughs> with stuff from the organizations we work for. The union hierarchy is not saying you must look at this and you must use it for instruction because questions of instruction are, are, are all localized. Teacher can't come in and say, well, I'm definitely going to do this. You know, presumably got to talk to folks and uh, about it. But we hope that a, a, a lot of teachers take a look at us for the first time and go, oh, wow, that's interesting. That might help um, my kids, whatever subject they're teaching. American history, biology, whatever, begin to know the difference between sources of information they can generally trust and sources of information they can't trust. Now, we are used by a scattered array of, of teachers at various schools right now. So in Chicago, where I live on the north side, well, both on the north and south side of Chicago, I can point to teachers who use us. They use us in their classrooms. I can point to the librarian of a very hot private Catholic school who is not just a librarian, but he goes to all the different classes in the high school, which is about a thousand kids, and teaches um, research skills. And one of the many tools, not the only, but one of the 
the tools that he now uses to help them is NewsGuard, which means that if you have NewsGuard, which is a browser extension, you download it, takes a minute and a half, and then anytime you come across a website that we have assessed, you'll see in the upper right-hand portion of your laptop or your mobile phone, uh, you'll see a green or a red icon. Green means credible, red means uh, not credible. You click on that and you can see our whole analysis. So, um, you know, hopefully this can be a nice teaching tool. And um, as I wrote, as I just happened to have written uh, just today as we speak in the uh, Chicago Tribune, where I was uh, managing editor and worked for 24 years, uh, the state of Illinois is actually the first state in the nation that has passed a law essentially mandating um, a unit of media literacy instruction. Now, uh, what that actually means uh, is open to interpretation, but you know, 14 states have sort of standards related to media literacy. Now in Illinois, they're saying um, we want all high school students to be uh, confronted with basic elements of, of media literacy and how to research and sources to trust and not trust, which is, you know, it's a great, uh, you know, I, I think is a is a great advance. Now, I hope it doesn't wind up like a lot of other unfunded mandates, education mandates in the state, which include teaching about Leif Erikson and uh, instructing folks on the, on the significance and history and influence of, of a whole array of ethnic groups in the history of Illinois, which you know doesn't get taught, but it's on the books. Hope we go well beyond that and get folks um, to actually, in some way, insinuate notions of media literacy into their teaching. Ultimately, as I said, it's a local decision. Local school district is going to be in charge of overseeing and executing this. So let's talk about, uh, for those that uh, didn't hear our episode way back when, when we talked to you, let's talk about these products that we're hoping students are going to get their hands on. So I think it's something like, I don't know what I pay, $3 a month or something. Uh, for NewsGuard, I can't remember how much I pay, but um, I get a nice little, like you said, it's not invasive. It's the top of my browser, the very top right, just this little icon and it, it pops up. So tell us about the product when you pay for the subscription. Uh, what are you getting and how it works? Well, um, it's uh, a max of two ninety five a month. But um, for people in your world, uh, we've given a lot of you know, essential, essentially freebies. So we've given, we give it free to libraries. Mm. We've, uh, you know, given it free here or there to other folks. Um, although we've just also cut a deal with Princeton University, where Princeton is going to be the first highest higher education establishment. And Princeton, right, is pretty well known and pretty respected. Um, yeah, I've heard of them. They're going to, they're going to pay us and they're going to make us available to all their students because they looked at it and they liked it. So you, anyway, you download it. And uh, again, anytime you come across a site, which we've rated, you can go click and find out about it. And um, it's really detailed. I mean, you can not only see how uh, you rate them on all nine of those criteria, but if you click on the expanded nutrition label, you go uh, through like the stories that you evaluated. Yeah, I, know, I, know, and- I know, I know, I know. I, 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 
I'm, no, it's great. It's good. I remember showing a label to my wife. I was very proud because I've done some of our, you know, more, some of our more high profile labels, um, New York Times, Washington Post, among them. And uh, I remember being very proud of my first um, uh, version of a New York Times label. When I say first versions, because we try to update these every six to 12 months. Um, but I was kind of proud and I, you know, put my laptop, but she was sitting on a couch near where I am right now. And I put it on her lap and say, hey, here's tell me what you think of the New York Times. And she sort of took a look at one screen, scrolled down to see that there was another screen full. And then she goes, really? Uh, but But i like i like that it's like the axios approach right like you you have your levels of engagement so you can you can look at the criteria and then if you want to go further you can thanks for putting it that way so you can yes um you can quickly first glance see how the site does on our nine criteria it's a little checkbox and you can see you know red check green check blah 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 so you can just go as far as that but if you want a full assessment which includes uh, uh, the initial section, which is ownership. Uh, second section is content, what sort of basic content they have. Uh, next section is credibility. Those are some of our tougher calls. Those involve, you know, whether you mix news and opinion, uh, among other things. Those invite involves whether or not you run corrections, what's your, real, what's your track record for accuracy. Uh, then there's a transparency section, which, which is what it would sound like, you know, and do you tell us, does a site tell us who owns it? Does it tell it, tell us who edits it? Does it label, label news and opinion? Um, and, uh, so the transparency section, and then what turns out to, to me, for me personally, to always be a, 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 an engaging one, which we thought initially was just going to be a throwaway section, which is the history section. And which you say, what's the origin of this outlet? What interesting things have happened, you know? Um, and, you know, you, it might be adding a few sentences about, uh, you know, Chris Cuomo getting canned at CNN or something. But we'll put that stuff in. Um, and so, you know, if, if you want to take a look at the full meal as opposed to a little appetizer, it's it's there for you now um you know what's going to be the impact of this that's a 64 dollar question as we would have put it in the 50s or 60s uh in a world that's uh, as you've undoubtedly uh mentioned a thousand times is so polarized people looking at what they want to look at are they really going to be have their minds changed by being told that a site which they love is not to be trusted I do have hope that if over time media literacy can be something that the education system is more aware of and can find time for in a world in which, you know, like my kids, it seems like three quarters of what they do is, uh, you know, math and science because that's where the labor market's going. And, you know, for every 10 hours spent on, you know, computer science classes, uh, there may be two seconds of reference to sources one can trust. So I hope over time and with uh, partnerships like we have with the American Federation of Teachers, which among other things represents all the Chicago public school teachers, 
that's one of their biggest units, the Chicago Teachers Union. You know, I hope that we can begin to have, we in a larger sense, we and, and others who are in this area, can have a little bit of impact. Uh, since I, I know that other parents out there, particularly of, of younger kids, know what we are confronting. We're confronting a world in which a kid is uh, sort of addicted to TikTok or Instagram and Snapchat and may not have a clue that there's a difference between finely edited stuff, by and large, on the front page of the New York Times or Wall Street Journal and the video misinformation and junk that may be bombarding them on TikTok. You know, so it's a challenge. I mean, I, you know, I have a high school, we have a high school senior goes to one of the elite public schools in Chicago, so-called selective enrollment school. And uh, U.S. News and World Report rates it the number four public high school in the country. And um, in the middle of the whole Ukraine tragedy debacle, um, speaking of um, sources you can trust, uh, uh, a debacle that is referenced in most of the government Russian media as a special operation, not as a war or invasion. But anyway, I asked him about, and he, before he went to this high school, he'd gone for three years to one of the best private schools in the city run by the University of Chicago. And I asked him, you know, what sort of um, uh, learning he'd had when it came to uh, the Cold War. Because I, you know, I wanted to, you know, talk to him a little bit about the origins of something like this, and, and the Cold War being something that, for those of a certain age, um, was sort of the sort of overarching geopolitical reality of one's life, particularly growing up in the fifties or sixties. Um, he had had absolutely no instruction. He's a senior in high school and really doesn't know. So last night I sat down and started a twenty-four part. CNN series on the Cold War that goes back a whole bunch of years um, because I just think you got to you know a little bit about something. So anyway, this is sort of what we're, we're up against. And, and when it comes to that, trying to tell him a little bit about sources to trust, sources, uh, you know, not to trust. So we're in that. Um, that's the universe of which uh, NewsGuard is, is in. And it's delightful to have partnerships like we now have with the education sector, be it the teachers union and or Princeton University or uh, this private Catholic school in North side of Chicago. All right. So, Jim, so if I was a site, you know, starting today, you know, Lawrence Eppard's news site, um, tell us the process of you finding out about a site to you evaluating it to a rating actually showing up on my browser. Well, when we started, we relied heavily on a partnership with a company that's actually, um, I think, is technically based in Ireland, maybe Dublin, has a big, big, big office in New York City where we're at um, called NewsWhip. And NewsWhip turns out data every single second of the day about engagement with, with websites and social media around the world. So it can tell you right now. Uh, in whether it's Altoona, Pennsylvania, 
or whether it's Caracas, Venezuela, what folks are looking at online. We've taken, we took their data and just said, okay, let's take a look at the first thousand or so sites with the most engagement, you know, generally speaking in the U.S. That's how we started. We just took like the first thousand and started going down that. Now, every once in a while, someone says, hey, look at this. There's this crazy stuff on this side or there's this interesting stuff on this side. It's not in the top thousand, but what should we do? And we generally say, yeah, let's do it. There are a lot of really good and really bad sites that are notable that may not have been on our, our list. At the same time, when it came to newcomers whom we might not know anything about. So you start a site tomorrow. And whether it's good or bad, we're probably not going to necessarily know about it. We are totally amenable to folks literally contacting us and saying, could you rate us? We've come across a fair number of smallish startup sites, or in some cases not startups, who respect what we've done and want to get rated because they have the rated because they have the confidence that they'll go to get a good rating from us because they have confidence in their site and then maybe can use that in some fashion. So, you know, there are, there are a bunch of sites which sort of market their the fact that they got a good rating from us. The, even as, as establishment uh, as and, and as successful as The Economist magazine. The Economist magazine, you know, would tout to, to potential subscribers that they get a green from NewsGuard. And, uh, you know, other folks have have done that, too. So, you know, I think for some, it's a it's a it's a validation. Look, I've got a I've got a green ranking just like The New York Times. Now, look closely and you may find that their green ranking is the counterpart to a, you know, a B minus as opposed to an A. But it's still it's it's passing from from us. And um if truth be told, and I can't disclose the data exactly, it is a small minority of websites that have gotten perfect um, 100 scores from us. Um, as far as my my final pitch, it's um, it has to do with a bunch of things. You know, this is the era in which, as you know, the credibility of journalists have plummeted. The faith folks have in the media has. Um, Decline precipitously. And it's also an age in which, you know, technology reigns, and that includes the reliance on algorithms, which in many cases have made our lives much better and easier, and particularly as, as consumers. But um, when it comes to media, I think there's a real friction uh, in sorting things out via algorithm. And what we're saying is that they're old fashioned, two legged animals. Um, who you might rely on, because among other things, we call for comment. The algorithm doesn't call for comment. The algorithm that decides that, uh, you know, this is good or this is bad is, you know, again, not picking up the phone or not sending uh, an email or a text message saying, wait a second, are we missing something? Uh, do you not say who owns you? Or can you explain to us why you said that uh, eating apricot pits would help your pancreatic cancer um, with health, health information being the number one topic of misinformation we find. Not politics, not but health. Um, so I would say in a world in which uh, you can 
you know, very easily be buffeted every day and absolutely consumed and submerged in tons of information. And even the fairly savvy consumer can really not quite know how to differentiate. We are, I think, a, an emerging tool to help you out and to serve as a de facto, um, you know, editor for you and a de facto filter in differentiating between stuff you can rely on and junk. Do you ever, uh, speaking of like health information or, you know, political information, maybe it's vaccines, maybe it's like you said, apricot pits, you know, um, when you call for comment from some of these sites that are really deliberately, like a lot of the, the really partisan political sites are really deliberately putting out disinformation. Do you ever get a hostile exchange? Um, do you get them citing just really bad studies? Like what kind of response do you get from people who are doing really bad jobs? Well, one thing that we are uh, adamant about is uh, contacting sites w uh, which we may be inclined to criticize or downgrade for various faults. And we'll attempt to uh, contact them multiple, multiple times. And if you look at our labels, you'll see how many times. We, 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 won't, we won't, even, won't say con try to contact them several times. We'll say try to contact them, contact them six times. Twice by email, twice by phone, twice by text, whatever it might be. And yeah, sometimes we get folks who uh, evade us. Um, and in some cases, I found it was because they didn't know who we were, so they didn't respond. But over time, uh, as we got a little bit better known and the exchanges made clear that we were serious and well-intentioned, uh, people would increasingly return our calls. They might be hostile. They might disagree with our our premises. They might disagree that they were being unfair, but it's important for us to get their point of views out there. Um, when it comes to a phony health site that's claiming, you know, apricot pits will cure something, um, yeah, there's not much they can say. So, you know, there are instances where people won't respond. And that's fine. But as long as we have made clear that we have tried to reach out to get some comment, fine. And yeah, some cases they'll, they'll get defensive and they will, here, we'll take a look at this study. And we have some really, really, really smart people, particularly in the health area, both two of them in Chicago, um, who actually know their stuff. And we'll read the papers that these sites may have sent them to justify what they what they claimed. Um, and then we just we take it from there. It's just old fashioned reporting. There's there's no particularly mystery to it. You go see what someone cites. Uh, you know, if Shippenberg's website says such and such about the college. You know, uh, you know, you do your independent reporting to say, see if that's true, you know, that they have an esteemed, uh, you know, Russian studies department. When we look closely, one second, you know, who's huh? I don't see a Russian study, <laughs> whatever it might be, you know, um, and it's the same thing with with all these sites and 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 asking them. And, um, you know, it's a uh, it's a challenge. We aim to be fair. Uh, it means we've got a lot of people who, you know, will criticize us, you know, folks on the left saying, oh, my God, how can you give a passing grade to that site on the right and vice versa? But, um, 
you know, if, if, if we have been rigorous and fair minded, um, you know, we, we, we can sleep pretty well at night. Well, James Warren, executive editor at NewsGuard, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. My pleasure. It's been great. Happy trails to you until we meet again. Happy trails to you. Keep smiling until then. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and bring the sunny weather. Happy trails to you till we meet again. trails to you until we meet again happy trails to you keep smiling until then who cares about the clouds when we're together just sing the song and bring the sunny weather happy trails to you Goodbye, good luck, and may the good Lord take a liking to you.